Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, I ask you to please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, where you can access all our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in the faith journey. Enjoy. We are in the midst of a series called Close Encounters of the God Kind. Uh, Just a reminder, uh, Tim Skiles, uh, assistant here, uh, puts on the YouVersion Bible app. I think everybody on earth knows what that is. On the YouVersion Bible app, if you go there and look at the bottom of the screen, you'll see something that says events. And if you hit that, uh, you can find our church, Lighthouse of Hope. If you hit that, then you can uh, follow along on your phone. Uh, Mute it, please. On your phone, you can find all of the notes. And I've also included homework. Please come back. Please come back. Uh, You don't have to do it, you know, just like school. But anyway, uh, but anyway, if you want to go deeper in what we're doing today and some things that I'm going to point to today, you can find how to go deeper in some of those things uh, through the YouVersion Bible app. I hope you brought your Bible. I hope you bring your Bible. And uh, if not, there's a Bible of any kind of translation you want online. And I'm using the New American Standard Bible because I'm a good American. No, I'm using the New American Standard Bible um, uh, today, which I usually do. But I'm not like it's not like I'm starting a denomination on that. Just like that's my that's my go to translation. I'm very I'm very excited for today. I was here last night walking around and in the sanctuary and just praying about today and because I just uh, I just knew that that's what the Lord uh, wanted me to do um, but prior to that I felt something God uh, dropped in my heart um, and it's been in my heart now for a long time but I carry a, a huge concern for our country uh, for the future of the church in America uh, over the next season of time in our nation. My, my main concern is over the fact that the Gen Z generation, which Gen Z is classified as from age 9, I don't know how they figured this out, but from age 9 to age 24. Gen Z is probably the most significant voting block of people in the country. Uh, the most uh, up and coming, uh, very engaged in the culture, probably as much, if not more, than any other. And I think that's a good thing because the way the Gen Z generation has been wired by God, whether they know him or not, I believe uh, with a close encounter of the God kind within the Gen Z generation, incredibly amazing things for the kingdom of God can take place. If not, if not, what we need to know is that Gen Z is predominantly becoming the most indoctrinated by the ways of the subtleties of the world philosophies which are going far from a Christ-centered biblical worldview and they are being exposed with their eyes their ears toward things that 
we who are of another generation segment, even millennial, baby boomers. What is before their eyes and their ears is shocking to me. Along with that, and I'm thankful for a full house today. And I do not, I, if I, I've always said if I didn't pastor this church, I would attend it for a lot of reasons. But it, I'm so grateful for, for a full house, but more than that, I am grateful for the amount of parents that, that get up on Sunday morning and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and we will put our feet to our, to our lips and we will be in the house of God. And I'm so thankful that in the house of God in this church, in this church, we are graced in the fact that we have, we have uh, young men and women from the Gen Z generation who are leading the way to the high places of God in worship. Uh, in, in, in ministry and are fully involved. I love seeing children worshiping the Lord and sometimes they're worshiping and sometimes they're crunching on a Pop-Tart, including my grandkids, and that's fine with me because I'd rather have a kid crunching on a Pop-Tart with the Holy Spirit working toward their life, moving in their life, knocking on their shoulder. Yeah. So I do have a huge concern. Church attendance nationwide is, is dropping like the Titanic once that big explosion happened and down it went. Across denominational lines. So to have a house this full, we're an outlier. But what that does for me is gives me great hope because God is the one stirring your heart to be in the house of the Lord because it is about you and it is about you, baby boomer. It is about you, great grandfather and grandma. It is about you, mom and dad. But I'll tell you what, the Lord himself is zeroed in on Gen Z. I said to my sister yesterday, she sent me a sermon by a pastor that I love. Uh, he is older than I am, and he pastors a church in Alabama where I spent time in that town, or not that town, but in another town there. And every time he preaches, I'm reminded of a moment in 1986 when I was a youth pastor, when the Lord spoke to me at a lake outside of Tuscaloosa and spoke to my heart and made me realize that I'd be a part whenever God comes down in a massive way to reach a generation and fill them with the Holy Spirit, that I'd be a part I'm still waiting on that, but it reminded me of that yesterday, and, I, and part of the reason I came here last night to walk around is because I know this is one of those messages that will have a part in what God does in our church. In spite of all that isn't happening, in spite of the influences that are very concerning, I have not lost hope, because my hope is in the I am. Who was, get this, who is. It's not only what you was, it's what you is. I'm glad God is still ising. I have a hope in the one who was, who is, 
and his to come. And he's called the Almighty. The Almighty. I want to believe that the Lord is going to speak within Gen Z and call up a new people for the next however many years he chooses. And so with that said, let's go into this message in the series, Close Encounters of the God Kind. This is part two, Fire on the Mountain, A Nation Under God. Where, we, where we've been is this, Moses has seen the burning bush, heard the voice of the Lord calling him to go because God came down and cared about the people and to bring them out of captivity. He does so, he judges Pharaoh and he judges Egypt, which he did not want to do, but they brought it on themselves. Don't have enough time to go into that. And through the Passover lamb's blood, God protected his people and brought them out. They saw the miraculous parting of the Red Sea with their very own eyes. They saw God's powerful salvation. And in a microcosm of a 40-year wandering through the wilderness, you see a picture from there to where we're going to go today, where God would send manna from heaven and feed them and water from rocks that did not have water in them. And that's what he did in microcosm in this time before we get to where we are now, which would be the way God would be faithful to them for 40 years in the wilderness. And he chose them to become his people and his nation. And later in Moses' last sermon in Deuteronomy 7, he's speaking for God and he said, God did not choose you because you were righteous. He chose you because you were one of the weakest. And he chose you because he loves you. And he found you and wanted to rescue you because Pharaoh had made you slaves. And you know that the Lord your God is the only true God. So love him and obey his commands and he will faithfully keep his agreement with you to be his people for a thousand generations. But remember the funnel last week. All the nations knew God. They come out of uh, Noah's ark and they begin to multiply. All the nations knew him. Romans tells us that in the first chapter. Although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God or, or were thankful to him. And they became dark in their understanding. Professing to be wise, they became fools. God turned them over to the way that they chose to live. The funnel began to narrow. In the narrowing of the funnel, God picks one man, Abram, in Ur of the Chaldees, modern-day Babylon, modern-day Iraq, I'm sorry. And he tells them, come out from among all, follow me, trust me. I will make your name great. I'll make you a great nation and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bring a descendant through your own body and he will bless the nation. He will crush the serpent's head. And so this is where we are. We're in the parentheses. We're in this part of the funnel, which Israel will not keep their word to God. And we know that story. And it narrows all the way down to a virgin who is from Judah's line. As Isaiah said, a root will come out of the stump of Jesse, David's line, and Jesus will be born. Take all of the curse of the law and flip it. And from him and the 12 and the 70 and the 120 and the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, they go to the end and God, he says, all power has been given to me. Go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. Don't look in the clouds. I've called you to be my witnesses. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. So that means he is still the I is. 
the I am. And he is coming and he will come. But he has a people and he's calling for more. And he puts a claim on this nation in that moment of the funnel, as you can picture it. And he says these words from the top of the mountain. Here's the slide. Then God spoke all these words saying, Elohim, I am the Lord your God. Asher Yatsa Eretz, Mizraim Bayit Eved, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Lo Elohim Aher Alpanim, you shall have no other gods before me. What I just read to you in the Hebrew and spoke was what Moses and the children of Israel heard. They were the exact words. We have the exact words that Yahweh spoke from the mountain and you just heard them in your ears. You shall have no other gods before me. Simply meaning, when you come before me, when you come before me, you don't bring your other allegiances along and parade them in front of me. Because I have a claim on you. I rescued you from slavery. I rescued you out of all the nations, all the peoples. I called you. I have a claim on you. Bring no other allegiances into my presence. It'd be the same as if you're standing before the cross of Jesus Christ and he's hanging on it. And you say, I'm yours, and you're, but I'm bringing my other lovers with me. That's what he's saying. To say that is such a an act of rebellion and, 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 and a lack of understanding and a hard-heartedness that actually believes when in light, in light of the redemption, in light of what he did for them, in light of what Jesus did, to bring before God, to bring before the crucified Son other lovers. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. I don't have this online, but just listen. We haven't heard these in a hundred years. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for the Lord your God is a jealous God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Which simply means you call yourself a follower of Yahweh. You're a part of the sons of the covenant. Then what you say is what you should live. This is not just saying we shouldn't say Jesus' name or God, oh God, that's wrong too. But that's not what he's saying here. He is saying, don't claim the name of Jesus. Don't claim, in the new covenant, don't claim my name and claim to be mine. And then by the way you live, come up empty. If you have a wallet and you claim to be rich, when we look in it, there should be a lot of money. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain because the Lord will not hold you innocent or guiltless. If you take his name in vain, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy for six days. You shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord, your God on it. You should do not. You should not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant. For it's holy unto the Lord. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be prolonged on the land. And I'm telling you, when he said this, he didn't sound like me. You'll see what the impact in a minute. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Listen to this one. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Oh, and husband. Or his male servant. 
female servant, his ox, his donkey, his car, his church members, his ministry, I'm, I'm just I'm. or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. So in other words, he wasn't, when God was saying these commandments, they didn't sound like me. They didn't sound like this. They, they were loving, powerful, but to hear the voice of God, they were like, we can't, this, we can't live hearing that voice. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you. In other words, he's manifesting himself this way to bring up to the surface things you didn't realize about you, about God. About, mm. Whoop, there it is. And in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. That's what that means. Here's where we are in this, uh, Israel. I am, I'm, I'm making a big, a big manifestation here because I, I need you I need you to carry what I'm depositing in the world. Nobody else has this. I need you to carry this. I need you to carry this. I am, I am, I am making a big noise about this. I am manifesting my power. So you really take to heart. You reverence this. You fear this. You stand in awe of the calling and the trust of what I've done and what I'm doing and what I want to do to save the whole world. You must get this. I am becoming big in your eyes and in your ears to make it clear to you, this isn't something you can fail at. There is no other nation. That's what, that's what he means by fear. In Deuteronomy 4, he says it like this. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on him? As I said last week, the people of Israel that still exist, that Satan has hated since the time of their beginnings because they are an oracle people. They represent on planet Earth a group of people that say Almighty God who made the cosmos appeared to us and gave us his laws that Ezekiel Wharton read about today. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Let's talk about the book of the law that we've been looking at that comes down from God's finger written in tablets of stone, mediated hand from angel to Moses. So powerful was when Moses comes off the mountain, he doesn't realize that his face is shining as bright as somebody's shirt. I'm anyway, his face is shining so bright that they can't even look at it. This is this book. The Bible, and, and part of my homework is, is Psalm 119. And, and, you know, Psalm 119, I think, says, has 166 verses. By the time you were 12 year old as a Hebrew boy, you had it memorized. Not just that. The whole Torah. Not memorized, but you knew it. At 12 years of age, you were fully instructed in it. At 12 years of age. This book of the law is described all through the Old Testament, but it really is, it really pops in the Psalms and in Psalm 19 especially. But if you want to summarize the book of the law, the whole, in, in, in our view, would be the whole word of God rightly divided from Genesis to Revelation. You could say it like this. 
but it actually says that the book of the law is perfect. It actually says, your law, O Lord, is perfect. It revives the soul. Um, Paul calls it in the book of Romans that the law is holy, which means what Deuteronomy just said. This is from God. This is from God. It's holy. There's nothing like him. No God like him. No one, nothing like him. And what he has given us, this book, this book is holy in the sense that nothing's like it. And it's righteous. The term of righteous means picture something that's out of, out of, out of form. And this idea of Sidkanu means that it brings it up straight. The law is holy and it's righteous. It, it straightens courses. And it's good. It's good. Uh, you look, you go, you need your bread and you go to the store and there's all these breads now, right? Just like there's all these toothpastes. There used to be just toothpaste. Now there's toothpaste that like antibacterial, which I was saying to a sales guy this, the other day. Does that mean the other ones have bacteria? I mean, what does, what, the extra white? Okay, so, well, white, which, some of them, no white? And bread, it's like, you know, it's like this bread. White, bleached, enriched. Now you got, what, what's the one dude's name? Dave's bread. Dave, and you look at it, it's got like, everything in the whole garden is in this bread right here. I mean, it's just, it got, six million different kinds of seeds are in this, you know what I mean? So you're like, my goodness, I'm my whole life, I'm gonna eat that bread. That's what this means. The law of God is good. It ain't junk food, man this book and it points to the path of blessing Psalm 119 I just extracted a few things after Zeke blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord blessed are those who comply with his testimonies and seek him with all their heart hello <laughs> don't mind me I'm just um, teach me the way of your statutes Lord and I shall comply with it to the end give me understanding so that I may comply with your law and keep it with all my heart. I will delight in your commandments, which I love. I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes because they are my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Wow, I love that. Yeah. Psalm 1, you open the psalm. The very first psalm says this. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the, way of, in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. In other words, when a sinner's sinning, you don't stand up and go, I'm all for that. Blessed is the man who doesn't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers, which is what our kids are doing, going off to State University now. Sitting in the seat of the mockers, sitting before people who, who, who are anti-Christ, anti-God, and we're only paying $100,000 to do it. Blessed is the man who will not sit in the seat of the mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf will never wither and whatever he does will prosper. Not so the wicked. Not so the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the assembly of the righteous. That's what God does in every generation. He assembles the righteous in every generation. The wicked won't stand in the assembly of the righteous. 
because the way of the wicked will perish. But the Lord knows those who are His, and blessed are those who walk in His righteousness. That's Psalm 1. The book of the law is not only that, it's this. It's a revelation of God's heart. Now, think about this. God could have left us to ourselves. God could have left us in false light. God could have left us thinking we're in light when we're in complete, utter darkness. God, God, God could have left us to just try to figure out our own way. But he loved us and he gave us his law. He came down. It's a revelation of his heart and his holiness. It's a revelation of true love. As hard as it is to come across certain passages in the scripture that make you way more than uncomfortable. I was thinking about this the other day. What if I was a, what if I was a, 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 a doctor and one of my best buddies who was, uh, had been through a rough time, really rough time, he comes in for an annual physical or whatever. We do that. We do all the blood work and everything. We do some x-rays and stuff. And I find out, unbeknownst to him, and a shock to me, that he has terminal cancer. And I know that in a couple months, his girl's getting married, and they're so jazzed and so excited. And I think to myself, gosh, I don't want to have to tell him this. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to tell him because I don't want to bum him out. And I don't want him to get upset with me of bringing a downer into his upper. What kind of doctor and friend would that be? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. God loves us so much that he will not not tell us the truth. The truth will set you free, but it'll mess you up first. <laughs> what concerns me about our modern day Christianity is that some truths are, are very traumatic. And the trauma of those truths can really mess you up. And there are many men, and I've felt this feeling of myself. I don't want to have to bring this up. I don't want to have to say that. I don't want to have to go there. Because when you do, there's no way to candy coat this part. There's no way to get people jazzed when you talk about the great white throne. But, as I've said before, go back and do an inventory three to five years on the most famous that are preaching and have the greatest audiences. And look in a three to five year where they ever mention the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne, the wrath on sin. On and on and on preach anything close to Genesis 18, anything close, and I ask myself, why? I know partly why, because it's traumatic. The Jehovah's Witnesses cult began because that Christian leader of, that started it could not handle the fact, or face the fact, or live with the fact that people would go out into eternity without Christ and be separated from God forever. And so he thought, I can't deal with that. We got we're, let's come up with something else. Some truths are so traumatic, it's hard to face them. But what takes place in the life of a person, a family, a nation, for not facing truth, is what we're seeing happen to the Western world today. It's not love to lie about God. 
And God has given no man in the pulpit mission, uh, a, a commission to tweak him. This is a revelation of true love and it's also a revelation of sin within. I didn't, Paul said, I wouldn't have known what sin was if it wouldn't have been for the law. But I come to find all kinds of sin in me. When you're looking in a mirror, you're not looking at you. You're looking at you. It's a surgical situation when you go into the book. When you go into the book. We find out what sin does to me, what sin does to you, what sin does to families, what sin does to nations. And it's a revelation that cannot impart life. Knowing this law in this parentheses, God is going to show them a way to have their sins covered, that they can lean toward God in the light of what he's bringing, to show them that the devil was lying when he said, by knowledge you'll be like God. And God says, I'll give you the best knowledge you I'll give you the holiest of all, and I will show you that he was lying to you. By your knowledge of my holiness, you are, will see you're not me. And you will need some kind of righteousness that comes not from within because it isn't in there, no matter how much positivity you live in. The law's purpose established in the, through the gospel to put in the right place is to show mankind his need for some other kind of righteousness apart from their own or their own laws, their own imagery, their own God. And that's love. Our nation has departed from that as a collective. Who said this? People say, well, all that stuff's being buried, forgotten, or, we, or, or people point to uh, certain things about the founders and say, well, let's cancel, they don't say it this way, but it's basically the narrative is, let's cancel them out because they had this issue and th the most important issue of all time, and that they didn't follow right. So everything else done, now we got, we're, we're bringing it, we're redefining, we're doing, okay, let, um, let, me just, let me just read to you something. And, you, and uh, I want you to say, who said, who said this? this? This first one, this first one is a president. Who said this? The Bible is the one supreme, one supreme. The Bible is the one supreme source of revelation of the meaning of life, the nature of God, and spiritual nature and needs of men. It is the only, this blows my mind. I can't even, I had to read, read and go, who said that? It's the only guide of life which really leads the spirit in the way of peace and salvation. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness are derived from revelations of Holy Scripture. Do you know who said that? What the modern Democrat Party who will say it was the father of progressivism. Woodrow Wilson said that. Woodrow Wilson said that. The 28th president of the United States. Which president said this? And I'll give you a clue. It wasn't Ronald Reagan. And it wasn't George W. Bush. Listen to this. And it wasn't George Washington. Listen to this. We cannot read the history of our rise in development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of this republic. Where we have been the truest and most consistent in obeying its precepts, we have attained, I'm sorry, we have attained the greatest measure 
of contentment and prosperity. Did you just said that? Franklin Delano Roosevelt said that. The creator of the New Deal. The fireside chat president who served four terms. Roosevelt said that. Listen to this one. Imagine the President of the United States of any branch or any party saying something like that today. Imagine it. The articles of impeachment filed. Maybe. In regard for this great book, I have this to say. Imagine a president saying this. The Bible is the best gift God has given to man. Imagine. Imagine it. Imagine in the upcoming debates, if there are any, any of them saying that right there. Abraham Lincoln said that, 16th president of the United States. Now, which university president do you think says this following statement? Let me, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a clue. Liberty University, Cedarville, or Southeastern University? Listen, which president do you think it was? The Bible is a window in this prison world through which we may look into eternity. How many of you would say Liberty University president said that? Raise your hand. How many would say Cedarville? Nobody? How many are smarter than me? How many would say Southeastern? Yeah? How many of you would ever think it was the president of Yale University? Timothy Dwight, <laughs> Timothy Dwight, the president of Yale University, said that. Does that surprise you? Do you know most of America's oldest universities were started by preachers and churches? Let me name them. Harvard, William and Mary, Yale, can you imagine? Princeton, King's College, Brown, Rutgers, and Dartmouth were all founded by Christian preachers and their church affiliations. For example, Harvard University, which was founded in 1636 by the Puritans, <laughs> adopted, quote, the rules and precepts of their university, and it stated, quote, let every, can you imagine this today? Can you imagine this? At Harvard. Let every, let every student, imagine, imagine a professor stating this at, you, at Harvard today. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. And therefore make Christ at the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Imagine candidating for the next uh, presidency of Harvard University and going in before the board and saying, what, what's, what's, your, what's your core value? Bam. Imagine it. Isn't it hard to even believe it? Anybody here going to go, where are you getting that from? Some right wing Bible thumping uh, internet pay? Where are you getting it from? Hey, go find it. Some of it's still etched on their buildings. Yale College. Every student shall consider the main end of his study to it to know God in Jesus 
and answerable he be to lead a godly and sober, <coughs> sober life. WBU needs a little bit of that too. Uh, <laughs> country roads. Little Mountain Dew going on up there. <laughs> Princeton had its one and only statement. Listen to this. Cursed is all learning that is contrary to the cross of Jesus Christ. Princeton University. The question begs, what happened? What happened? I can't answer all that except, but I'll tell you this. In Harvard's case, somehow the, incrementally they began to look at the theological viewpoint of the gospel and everybody needing Christ and all that. And they began to push off of the board the reformed theologians who had influenced it to that point and brought more universal Unitarians in, which is like everybody's in, all's good. I remember whenever we sold, uh, tried to sell the Warrior Drive uh, church building, um, it was up for sale, and, uh, and I had a meeting one morning with uh, people from the Universalist Unitarian Church locally. And uh, we got talking a little bit, and uh, I, I knew where they were about, and I've got an honorary streak. And uh, we got talking a little bit, and I just started telling them a little bit about what we were doing and my passion about the gospel. And, all that. and I just, they were just like, <laughs> what are all these crosses doing in here? <laughs> I'm feeling anxiety. I need a comfort. <laughs> In 1836, Noah Webster, who is called the father of American education, said this. In my view, the Christian religion is the most important and one of the first things in which all children under a free government not to be instructed. It is the basis of any government intended to secure the rights and privileges of the free people. That was 1836. In the 1900s, the, the man who is known as the modern architect of education, John Dewey. Ever heard of John Dewey? Yeah. Quote, There is no God and there is no soul. Hence, there are no needs for the props of traditional religion. How do we get here? Starts in the pulpits, starts in the church houses, starts in the universities that train students and preachers. I remember in the 80s sitting at a library, they had a better library than we did at the time. Across town, it was a Methodist school training people for ministry. And I was sitting across doing a paper, research paper on the book of Revelation, a 23-page research on Revelation chapter 12. I'm sitting across the table with this kid, and he's doing he has some commentary and stuff out. And I began to talk to him, and I said, uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm studying for the ministry. And I said, cool, me too. He goes, you here? What are you doing here? I said, I'm from Southeastern. He goes, you believe in all that born-again stuff? And again, I didn't have any kind of tact. I was like, I was like, dude, believe it or get out of it. <laughs> the multiculturalism that is the funnel has changed the rainbow and is seeking to evangelize you're Daniel, Daniel, you're Esther, you're David, you're Joseph, you're Mary, 
with more passion than many churches or many church families. The laws of Canada and the United States who so proudly claim to establish the rule of law are the lawless and anti-Judeo-Christian who are seeking to establish the rule of law. The lawless establishing the lawless in the name of the rule of law. Gonna culture shock you, but it's what the Apostle John calls the spirit of Antichrist. We have these imageries of someone, but the spirit of Antichrist is instead of, in place of. As the John Dewey said, there's no God and there is no soul. Now let me educate your kids. Will the Christians within our nation recommit to the word of God? That means you have to come sit under it. Will the Christians in our nation commit to the word of God to be made in the image of God? With all that's going on, the dangers are, are, are around us in so many ways in how we react. One way we can react, which will make it worse than better, is to react with a pharisaical spirit. To have a strictly pointing, accusing finger at, and out of fear of being polluted, we just separate. The word Pharisee means they were the separated ones. They added extra commandments to the commandments thinking that by doing so, separating, they could separate from their own sin. Jesus said, you know, you need to make your own inward uh, bowl clean before you can tell everybody else to clean their bowls out. We can go that road, or we can go the road of the Sadducee and the Herodian. Jesus said, beware of the leaven, the influence of the Pharisee, the Sadducee and the Herodian. The Sadducee and the Herodian were similar. The Sadducees were theological and they had the most political power, even more than the Pharisees did. It was the Sadducees that killed Jesus. The Sadducees didn't believe in the supernatural, didn't believe in the inspiration of the scriptures, but they were religious. They also sized up the empire situation and realized by, by connecting inwardly as the Herodians did. There was a bigger, there was a bigger payoff culturally uh, and welcoming and in power by, by turning from the word and being, having an appearance of godliness, pluralizing under the empire. Or you could have been like the Essenes who just said, they're all nuts, we're going in the woods, we're going in the wilderness, and we're gonna put up the tents and we're gonna get our Patriot supply and we're going to wait this bad boy out. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to trust the plan. We're going to get in the, the, the QAnon. I mean, we're going to, and they just got away and they, the, the Lord's coming and here it is. And it's all coming down and we're going to wait. And they just, they just built mikvahs everywhere, baptismal, and they just daily washed themselves just so they could be pure when the Lord came back. They were the cloud watchers. I have to tell you that with all that's going on, I keep hearing, I keep hearing, it bothers me. Now you're gonna think I'm messed up when I say this. Everybody is saying, oh, it's a sign he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Can I, can I ask you to consider one thing? That the, the, the signs may not be that he's coming, the, the signs may just be blatantly blasting 
showing our absence in our sleeping, seductive, all about the weekend, leisure, suburban, we got Jesus, so good for us kind of deal. While the good people sowed seeds, Jesus said the enemy sowed weeds. You are and you alone are the salt of the earth. You and only you are the light of the world. And no man takes a light and puts it under the church bench. The devil is not fearful at our cool weekend events. He's not afraid. What he's afraid of is getting on the mountains of influence in the world where you don't compromise and become like a Sadducee or a Pharisee and your light shines because you're a man or a woman of the word of God. As I was putting this together, I just heard the Lord whisper to me, believe for a Gen J. I was like, what's that? Generation Jesus? No. It's all about Jesus, but Gen J, I picked two characters in the Old Testament to explain what I mean by Gen J. Gen J, with the spirit of lawlessness and the rise of Gen J. A Gen J is a generation of young people who are like Joshua. Joshua was Moses' assistant, a young man who when God called Moses up to the mountain, he was to bring Joshua along. In one instance there, in the 17th chapter, God says to Moses, write all this stuff down in a book and give it to Joshua. On another occurrence, it shows Joshua, when Moses would be in the tent of meeting, Hearing from the Lord on a, on a regular, very consistent basis, Moses would speak with God. And the Bible says that God would speak to Moses as a friend face to face. And then after Moses would leave the tent, it just tells us significantly that Joshua stayed in the tent of meeting. And as I've read that, I always know that that means, wow, Joshua had a heart to stay in the presence of God. He, he was an altar man. He was a man that wanted to seek the face of the Lord himself. He, was, he wasn't going on Moses' stuff. He, was riding, he wasn't riding on the coattails. He wanted to know his own experience with God. But you know what I found out in studying this this, this past couple weeks? That, that the imagery is also telling us that, Joseph, uh, that Joshua was going to be a warrior leader. And that he was watching and protecting the tent. It reminded me of something Dustin said in a sermon uh, a couple months back, where he was using the illustration of PNC Park and the baseball and, and how, they, how, they, how they protect the field and, and all those things. It's that imagery of, of Joshua, this young generation, a, a man but representing a generation of these young students, these young kids who come into our house who come into the house of the Lord in this generation, who have a warrior thing, that they're not going to allow the pollutions of the world to get in their own heart and home and, or bring it into the house of the Lord. There, we want people who are broken. We want people who are struggling. We want people, if you're sinning and you're trying to get over it, get over it in the house. 
We want you here. If you fall, if you, if you fail, don't go hide in the woods somewhere. Stay with us. We're not here to judge you. We're all that. We're all that. But with that said, don't grace that and say it's good. See, people think the Ten Commandments and things that I've just read, they think, well, now we're under grace. It's as if. It's, it's as if. Now you can have all kinds of gods besides me. You're under grace. No, that's not. Hey, now you can, not only can you bust the Sabbath, you never have to go to church or anything like that. You're under grace. You can commit adultery. You can commit murder. You're under grace. That's not, the, that's not, the, the, it'll still break you. These laws that God showed us are laws of the universe. And they will break you if you break them, whether you're saved or lost. Amen. It's a light. You can't live it. We're not saved by trying to live it because you can't. But the law giver was the law liver. And he went to the cross and he paid the price. He took all the toxicity, all the shame, all the brokenness of all of us, all of us lawbreakers. And he, you know what he did? He, he buried it all in the, in, the, in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, came out a new man and calls us into a new way of life. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus emancipates us, exoduses us from the law of sin and death. That's the only way. And it's through faith we come in and he puts within us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The point here, Joshua, which in the Hebrew is Yehoshua, the same word for Jesus. Same word. He's an image. And he is one that God said, God said to him in, jo in Joshua 1, you can do all your homework on this. Do your homework on this. There'll be a test next week. Every place, listen, Joshua generation, every place on which the sole of your foot walks, I'll give to you as I did Moses. As I was with Moses all the days of his life, I will be with you. Only be strong and courageous. You have to be courageous. One of my dearest friends says to me something I never thought of, but he said it to me about a year ago, and I've never forgotten it since. God is attracted to courageous people. Be careful to obey all the word. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. It shall not depart from your mouth. You'll meditate on it day and night. And in that way, you will be prosperous. Have I not commanded you? Gen J, 9 to 24 years of age. I know a lot of them are downstairs, but get, maybe they'll watch this or maybe they'll listen to this part or whatever later in your van or your truck or your car or tell them they can't go to ice cream unless it no uh, it is an army by the way but anyway put the same passion well if you want your kid to start on the sports team you have to turn it up a notch don't you If you want to beat the devil at this game, the spirit of Antichrist is, 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 seems to be beyond restraint. You got to turn it up a notch. Gen J, you're 9 to 24. You got to turn it up a notch. I'm baby boomer. I remember the 
original Karate Kid <laughs> where Daniel's fighting in a tournament and that's one thing. In Karate Kid 2, he's fighting to save his girlfriend's life and his life and Mr. Miyagi looks and says, Daniel, son, this no tournament. This for real. Friends, young man, young woman, the serpent wants to burn you. But I address your attention to the I am who is a burning bush who is wanting to come down and grab your attention. I mean really grab your attention and speak your name and give you a deposit of his word. You, I call you to set aside a time and place where you meet with God. You meet with God and take the book and read large doses of it. Take it from the hand of the Lord as Ezekiel did and as the Apostle John did where the Lord said, you will eat it and it will taste sweet but it will make your stomach sour. In other words, there are things in the book that you have to, you have to eat that, that, that are about kings and nations and groups and influential circles and I have a word for the world and it will comfort the broken but it will challenge and break those who aren't and I call you to be faithful to it all be strong and of good courage you must prepare the people to go in and take an advancement in the land the whole counsel of God like Joshua and Gen Z J is also reminds me of Josiah I call him, I call this chapter in 2 Kings 22, when a king got woke. Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Judah. How would you like that job? And he ruled 31 years. Do you know, Josiah had such an influence on the nation that when he died in battle, uh, in the end times it says when the, when the nation of Israel mourns for Messiah and they realize they missed him and they mourn for him, it says the mourning for Messiah will be like the mourning that occurred when Josiah was killed. That's how amazing Josiah was. Let me tell you when it started for him. They were building the house of the Lord. They were trying to raise finances to build the house of the Lord. And Josiah had men that are named in, in the 22nd chapter that he sent. Uh, he trusted them with the money. He trusted them with the offering. And they go to the house of the Lord. And it says, and while they were in the temple, Shaphan, one of the leaders, said, look. This breaks my heart. Look what I found here in the temple. The book of God's law. The book had been lost in the house of the Lord for a generation. I'll sit over here. The book. The book that was given from Mount Sinai, written by the finger of God, was lost in the house of the Lord. And they bring it to Josiah. And he reads it. And it says, and Josiah, it says, when Josiah read the words in the book of the law, he tore his clothes in sorrow. And he says, 
The Lord has to be furious with me and everyone else in this country because our ancestors did not obey the laws written in this book. That is America. That is Western civilization. We wouldn't be here if there were not fire in the pulpits in Europe in the 1600s. We wouldn't be here. The man that shook Scotland is buried in a parking lot outside of that church where trucks park over top of him. As we reset and as we wake to a new morality under the rainbow, the book, and now we have people that have multitudes of people waiting for their next show, waiting for their next podcast. Who've already told you, unhitch from part of the book. He is a king, calls the nation to repentance, starts with himself, draws a circle around who needs revival and puts himself in the center of it. And then begins to institute things that brings the nation back. And God says to him through a prophet, Josiah, Listen to what I'm going to do. I noticed how broken you were when you read that this country and its people would be completely wiped out. You even tore your clothes in sorrow and I have heard your cry. And it goes on to say, God goes on to say, so I will not bring that judgment in your generation while you're living because, I, because of the way you turned to God. Do you know Abraham Lincoln? During the initial parts of the Civil War, Stated that this is the wrath of God on a land that's forgotten him. Do you know what else he did? He called for a nationwide fasting and call to repentance on Thanksgiving. To call a nation. Imagine. We, we have, we've come so far. You got some people, oh, it's the end of the world. Gee, I mean, it's, it's, and I'm saying it isn't. But if he comes this week, I want him to find me working on a 100-year plan. Not looking at, not reading Hal Lindsey again. Or following the QAnon, Trump's coming back uh, world. You're like, I don't know what that is. Good for you. Stay that way. <laughs> Stay that way. A hundred year plan. I want us to stop. God, God can come if he wants. But I want him to find, I want him to say, well done, you were occupying. You were laying foundations to pass beyond your generation and beyond your life. That the Zeke Wharton's kids will, will be hungry for the word of God in the house of the Lord. That will have their hearts and their faces shining. That will be in places strategically looking in, in, in law and in entertainment and in, and, and in uh, community work, and in um, uh, medicine, and in all aspects of culture, uncompromised, holy unto the Lord, shining a light, holding forth the word of life. Well done. Your works will follow after your life. That's what I'm about. God help me. God help us. Jen J. I close with this. Be his. As a matter of fact, I want everybody to stand, please. Jen J. And the parents of. 
if, if, if your Gen Jer is downstairs in Shine, and your mom and your dad here, as I said when I started, as I said when I started, I commend you with all the things there, there is to do. All the things, and, and, and it's not wrong to like take a break. Hey, I took six weeks. But I didn't take a break from God. When I go on vacay, I don't leave God back here. There's a difference between church and God, though. You know, we know, you know that? And, every, and, and the people who, well. But there, there is something about, you know, every great man and woman of God that, that touched my life when I was a teenager, a late teenager and early 20s, uh, sitting before the Lord, being set apart, leaving my nets behind, being set apart somewhere, alone with God in a tent of meeting kind of four-year time at Southeastern and at the lake at Tuscaloosa, all that kind of stuff. The people that influenced my life, the people that influenced my life, all had one thing in common, whether they were missionaries in India or Britain or whether they were in South America, whether they were pastoring, whether they were evangelists or street preachers or whatever they were. And isn't it interesting today? Those of you who are old schoolers, my man Kenny McDowell and Helen, some of you old people that have been around this thing a few times, remember how many times people would be preaching about God calling people into the ministry to preach, God calling people into the mission field and all that? You know what you'll find also? in those who don't preach on the topics I mentioned, you won't hear that call. You won't hear it. We have so lost our way, but I've not. And others that I know haven't. And it's only the mercy of God to say that. To the parents who are here and know that you can't afford and your kids can't afford to miss God moments. And we're not legalistic about that. I never want to be legalistic about that. Never. But in the love of God, in the long view, with the long game, you know how vastly important it is. And that... that that your child and your grandchild has God show up in their life. I want to pray for moms and dads in this room that you have a Gen Z and you're asking for a Gen J encounter with God for, for their lives. I want us to pray. I want to pray with you right now. Right here, right now. I was the most wig, wigged out, wild kid at the time. I wasn't always that way. I was a good kid. But a year before the Lord got me, I just wearily. But my mother, my father and my mother were the kind of parents that that got their kids into all kinds of experiences, good experiences, outside of the church, but got us in the house of the Lord. And in those experiences, 
incrementally, just subtly. Solomon didn't even realize. Whenever God really, I don't know how he does what all that, I don't understand it all, but in my understanding, it seems when God came down and for me, he cashed in all those chips that it had not been for my parents and the godly people in the churches investing in the lives of kids. I wouldn't have had a frame of reference. I just want to encourage you to have hope in the I am. That he knows you and he knows your son and he knows your daughter and he knows your heart and he hears your prayers. He hears your cries. But I just want to pray for you today that you would just say, and listen, if you want to come to the altar and, 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 and pray that, husband, wife, whatever, whoever, you want to come, pray at the altar. If not, whatever. But we're going to pray right here and right now. As we pray and after we pray, as the, as the band uh, leads us in worship and, and, and... Let's just believe God. There are some things God will do that will be in, in people's lives today that you'll never forget the rest of your life. And there's other things that happen where you go, I, I prayed and I brought that, I hope the Lord heard it, I hope that took, I don't know if it landed or not. Uh, that's fine too. Let's just believe that we take steps of faith, laying altars before the Lord and say, God, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every mom, every dad, every grandma and grandpa who is present in the lives of these uh, Gen Jairs. Oh Lord, the old song, I was walking around the sanctuary last night and you heard me, nobody else was here. Oh Lord, send the power just now. Oh Lord, send the power just now. Oh Lord, send the power just now and baptize everyone. He's not talking about water baptism. He's talking about spirit baptism. The same thing Jesus said, I'm sending you out into the midst of wolves. I'm sending you out into, the, into an empire that's antichrist. And I'm here to tell you, the promise from God is you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. God doesn't ask us to outcool the world. We come to outpower the world with the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the breath of I am. And I pray for a fresh baptism of the power of the Holy Spirit on your parenting, on your marriages, on your households, on your sons, on your daughters. I pray that the power and the truth of God's word will cancel out the lies that the serpent says as he begins to prognosticate about how your kids are going to crash and burn, how your kids aren't going to walk, the t walk it or live it. I speak against that in the name of Jesus and say that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has a word for you and a word for your kids and also an experience of the power of the Holy Spirit that he wants to pour on your house even now, the Lord would say to you, even now, the Lord would say to you, allow the presence and the fire and the wind and the rain and the glory of God to rest on your home. 
The Holy Spirit will never force his way on you. He is a gentleman, but he says this, if you say, come Holy Spirit, come in your power, come in your glory, come in your saving grace, come in your peace, come in your purity, come and sweep through my home, sweep through our, our lives and do a, a fresh, mighty work. I pray it from the back to the front. I pray it for every son. I pray it for every daughter. I pray it for every kid. I pray it for every toddler. I pray it for every infant. Heavenly Father, I stand as the shepherd of this house. And in the name of Jesus, I come before you right now. And I don't care what the devil says. I don't care what the pastor said. I don't care what anybody says. I stand before you in the call of God on my life, looking into the face by faith of the great I am. And I ask you, Lord, to come down upon your people with a fresh, close encounter of the God kind on our sons and our daughters. We say to the pharaohs of the spirit, we will go with our young, we will go with our old, we will go with our sons, and we will go with our daughters, and we will leave no one behind. We will leave no one behind in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the name of the God of the prophets, in the name of the God of the apostles, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're in that, if you're in that exodus, would you just give God praise and thanks and worship in Jesus' name?